if if you look at Jesus' life, there absolutely seems to be a balance or a rhythm between the white water and the still waters. And you see him enter into the city. Um, you see him throwing himself in the middle of the chaos. And then you see him withdrawing, getting quiet. And so I, I think I would suggest that this river, the kingdom flow that God is doing in the world is not the kind of relentless whitewater that drowns us. I feel like the, the way we bring our ambition, the way we chase things, um, the way our culture is set up is totally suffocating and drowning. And this river is an invitation beyond that kind of uh, chaos. Welcome back, everyone. So happy that you're here. So happy for you to hear this conversation that I was able to have with, uh, with Aaron Nequist. So Aaron... Is a pastor, a musician, a worship artist, a liturgist, and he has a book that has come out in August that is beautiful. It's titled The Eternal Current, How a Practice-Based Faith Can Save Us from Drowning. And that drowning is drowning in life and in longing to know where to go. I feel like so often today in the world that we live in, where we're going has too many options. And so we, for fear of choosing wrongly, we just don't choose at all. And that makes us bitter. This book is a conversation about an invitation to join in to the river and the current that is guiding the entire universe and you and I and the breaths that we breathe right now. It's an accepting of the invitation to come as you are into the current of salvation and Jesus. I really hope that you enjoyed today's episode. Here we go. Aaron Nequist, thank you so much for joining the Can I Say This at Church podcast. You are many things, and I asked you a minute ago kind of how to introduce you, and and um, you wear a lot of hats. So you are a liturgist, you write music, and I will say uh, there's two of, of the music that you write, two of the albums that specifically I enjoy to listen to on about a monthly basis. Uh, you're also a pastor, uh, I'm pretty sure you're a husband, and you must be a father. So <laughs> what would you want those listening to you to know about you? Oh, Wow. Um, well, first, thanks so much for inviting me onto this uh, podcast and into this conversation. Um, I think maybe I'd want people to know that that this is not a conversation I'm having outside of my life. It's something I'm trying to figure out and get swept up into in my actual life. So um, maybe if there's one thing, it's that this journey we're talking about, I'm I'm really trying to do it, too. So... Well, that's yeah. that's hard. It's hard to do it while you talk about it. Yeah, um, right, right. I can tell you from experience. It's <laughs> because if you do it wrongly, then you have to admit it. 
yeah. And, and but you have to do it in a way that you don't want to be hypocritical. Yeah. But I like the honesty involved in. Yeah, it's fine to be wrong. It's yeah. okay. So to just say, yeah, here here it is. I'm not sure whether left or right, but we're going to try left, and then we're going to see what we learn from it. Yeah. yeah. So of the jobs that you do, you know, liturgist, um, yeah. and and pastoring and and writing music. Which one is your favorite? Like, which one is the one that you fall back on when you're frustrated with everything else? Yeah, I think I've always felt at the core of the core of the core, I'm a songwriter. Like I used to say that even when I was a worship leader professionally, in my heart, I felt like a songwriter. And that's probably expanded a little bit um, to, to pastor, but not pastor in the sense of, uh, what we usually think of the, you know, the person who preaches and leads a church, but kind of the person who walks alongside people and helps ask the right question at the right moment, who helps listen, who helps provoke. Um, so there's something about that. There's something about provoking, um, but then also inviting into another space. So, yeah. 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 Well, I wanted to firstly say thank you for letting me use your music in a prior episode. And I know that's oh, yeah. how this conversation started. Yep. Um, and you have written a book that comes out in August entitled The Eternal Current. Uh, what is that? What are you looking to achieve? What is kind of the genesis and the reason that you felt led to write that book? Yeah. Well, the the very short version is I've been a Christian my whole life, um, went to a Christian college, got a job at a Christian church as a worship leader, and my faith completely imploded. And it was one of those really weird and kind of haunting moments of, I remember on a Sunday morning, getting ready to lead a bunch of songs, um, thinking, I don't believe any of these songs. Like, what am I going to do? And so it, it, it was quite a crisis. And in the process of that, I won't bore you with the entire three-year journey, but just discovered I had been approaching my faith um, in a wildly unhelpful sense. Um, I had really thought it was as simple as, I'm a sinner, here's a prayer, um, it'll get you in heaven someday, now don't do bad stuff. Like I really had internalized that as the story of Christianity. Um, but thank God, through some books, through some friends, through some um, experiences, uh, uh, was invited to consider that Jesus' message was not that. But in fact, Jesus' message was an invitation into the kingdom of God. Mm-hmm. And so, very long way to say the, the idea of this river is that um, there's this river flowing throughout all of creation towards the redemption and restoration of all things. It's very NT right language. I know, I know he's on the podcast. <laughs> um, basically that whole thing is just stolen from NT Wright's work. But the, the, the inside of the book is Jesus doesn't just say, believe about this river. Jesus says, learn to swim in it with me. And that has been transformational for me. I thought that the goal of Christianity was believing the right stuff. Like here are the five things, click them all off and you're in. And I'm realizing when I read the teachings of Jesus and those who follow Jesus, it's way more join me, 
participate. I say in the book, the invitation is participation. Mm -hmm. And so just moving from a belief-based faith to a practice-based faith. So what then do you think is the distinction you said between uh, redemption and reconciliation? No, that's not what you said, or is that what you said? You, you you'd use two R words. So what restoration. is yeah, redemption yeah, yeah, and restoration? Yeah, yeah. So what yeah, is yeah. the, what is the difference between those two? Redemption and restoration. Mm-hmm. Oh, well, you'll have to ask N.T. Wright. He's <laughs> <laughs> the expert. No, I think um, those both go under the, the big umbrella of making things right of uh, this world feels like it's spinning completely out of control. I mean, especially in our country in the last year or two. Mm-hmm. Um, and I think one of the biggest acts of faith um, that we're invited to believe is that God has not given up on this world, not even on America in 2018, Like, but God is making things right and will make things right and inviting us to participate. Yeah, and not to get political, but not necessarily making America great again, but making America restored, period. Oh, yeah. Period. Not, again, just re- just restored in yes. the Senate. Yeah. Yes, or maybe making America, I mean, I don't want to get, I'm not trying to get all... No, it's fine. Uh, I, I didn't write that down, so... Yeah, <laughs> maybe letting America run its course. Yeah. And inviting us into a new way of being human on the planet, I don't think God is overly concerned with preserving any nation, um, but God loves God's people, mm-hmm. every single one. Yeah. And so, for God so loves the world, you know. So. Yeah, I can mirror a lot of. Well, as I read the first third of your book, it was like I was reading a, an autobiography because I, I'm. I also oh, really? I also try to lead worship at my church um, about every Sunday, usually. Okay. And uh, that's involved, or that's become involving my children, and they hear me practice during the week here at home, and I struggle with a lot of the songs that we sing, and yeah. enough so that I've asked my pastor before, or the, the, the worship minister that, you know, I'm just a lay person, I'm not on staff, like, I don't think I can sing this song, and they can tell. Like, I sang one last yeah. night at practice, and, and at the end, I was like, man, that was the first time in a long time that I connected with the words in a way huh. that even at practice I was worshiping. Um, yeah. And yeah. I mean, I know you can relate, you can feel the difference when you're just singing oh, a rock yeah. song yeah. versus when right. you're actually worshiping. Um, and maybe it sounds crass, but I often find in those moments, it, it doesn't even matter what the congregation is hearing because I know I'm worshiping. Yeah, yeah. And I'm worshiping. And that's, I hope that they are, but I, yeah, I know right. I am. So Yeah, that's right. Yep. Otherwise, it just becomes like Christian karaoke. <laughs> and <laughs> who has time for that, right? Like, yeah. so yeah, yeah that's well, especially good. When, when all the songs are from, from Caleb or whatever, um, which yeah, is one of right. the things I appreciate about, uh, I can't talk, appreciate about your music is it's not songs that I would hear on the radio. Um, oh, yeah. Like I, I, that's one of the things I appreciate is it's, oh, cool. it's, it's a call to, it's a call to honesty as opposed to keep calm and, Let's sure. let's just be happy here. So how do how do we if 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 Christ is calling us to this eternal river, um, how do I get in it? Like, why would I already not be in it? Like, what is keeping me outside of it? Yeah, well, that's a that's a really good distinction. Um, one of the I spent a whole cha- almost a whole chapter talking about 
where is God? Um, and I realized as a worship leader, as a pastor, I have said some hugely problematic things like, God, we invite you here today. Mm-hmm. Or, um, God, we pray for your presence. Or, and it, like last couple of years, I've just been saying, wait, where do I think God is? God, we are fully immersed in God's presence. Always, all of us, no matter our beliefs, no matter our actions, we are fully um the question is awareness. So I think in some of my former, uh, some of the former ways of believing, I was like, well, if I can sing the right, like God's in the parking lot of the church. If I can sing the right song, God will come in, you know, (laughs) or deeper, like in my life, like God is kind of standing with arms folded away from me. And if I can just get my act together and finally stop this sin and finally start doing my prayers, right. Whatever that means, God will draw close. I don't believe that anymore in any capacity. God is already as close. Um, one of the, there some uh, theologians translate our father who art in heaven as our father who fills the heavens. Mm, I like which, that better. Isn't that beautiful? Yeah. To which another um, teacher, John Ortberg, actually, he, he translated that as our father who is closer than the air we breathe. Which and is, I think that is stunningly beautiful. Why is that so, not in the Bible then? <laughs> like, right, why, yeah, why, right, why, right. Why don't I have that version? Why, why haven't we heard it that way? Yeah. And so the question is not, how do I convince God to approve of me and come close? The question is, God already approves of me. God is already as close as the air I breathe. Then the question is on us. How do I open up to that reality? And that's what I think is the key of a practice-based faith. You know, these spiritual disciplines, these exercises, they're not for God. God is already bent toward us, pouring God's love onto us, into us, through us. But we really get to either open up to it or avoid it. Um, Like the humility of God, that God would allow us to avoid God's blessing. And so these practices, whether they're very religious, you know, historic Christian practices or very casual open practices that give us eyes to see what is already there, which is God and God's love. So is that Mm-hmm. No, I like Dance it. Around the yeah. answer. Okay. No, I like it. And and it reminded me of two things. So back in one of the, actually the very first interview I ever did was with Jared Bias. And and he was talking about Jonah and Jonah's trying to escape the presence of God. And so he keeps yeah. going down and yeah. keeps going down and keeps going down. And it's hateful when you can't get away from it. Like, just leave me alone, go away, which kind yeah. of mirrors that he's already there. Even if you don't yep. want him to be yep. here, just, yep. it's fine. He's here. And yeah. then you hear, you know, David saying, you know, where can I flee from your presence? There's no, yep. you know, so. Absolutely. Um, yeah. This is a little bit of a mechanistic um, analogy, but uh, I think some of it helps. Like at this moment, there are dozens, if not hundreds of radio waves flowing through my body and through my ears and through yours, mm-hmm. but we're just not aware of them. And so we have to f- be able to tune the radio to hear the radio waves that are already there. Again, too mechanistic to to fully Im- uh capture what's going on with God and God's creation, but there's something about that. If, if God's already here and I just need to tune in yeah. uh, and you talk about this a little bit with Ephesians four in, in, in your book. So how, 
what is the purpose of the church then? Is it just to help me tune in? Or am, am I supposed to come here to find the channel to listen to? Or is it supposed to teach me to find the channel myself to, to use that metaphor? How do I, yeah. what, why do I even go on Sunday or Saturday or Wednesday or whatever day your, your church happens to meet? Yeah, I would say I, the, the quick answer is all of the above. I think the church, it's a very complicated thing, but let me enter in a, a little bit. Um, I, <laughs> um, I've been working a lot with the idea of church as gymnasium rather than church as classroom. I think how I grew up is you show up at this place and they and they do some music and then someone talks at you and you learn some stuff and then you go home. And I think that's helpful to a point, but I remember I started thinking it's like, it's like if you showed up at a lifetime fitness and said, Hey, I'm kind of out of shape. I want to run a marathon in six months. Will you help me? And they say, sure. Come to the back room and a U2 cover band, play some songs. And then an expert gives a 45 minute lecture on marathon running and then says, all right, come back next week. We'll do it again. You know, you'd be like, I, I appreciate the inspiration. I really do. And I, I learned a ton from this expert but my body is no, <laughs> I'm not one step closer to be able to, being able to run a marathon. And I think there's something there about the church where inspiration is really important and teaching is really important. But in my opinion, only to teach us the practices that helps us align with God all week long. Or in the swimming analogy, it's like a swimming class where you learn, all right, today we're going to learn the breaststroke. And you learn about it, but then you also get into the water and you work on the shoulder muscles and you, you know, so that um, we, we used to say at our Sunday night uh, community, Sunday is important, but Sunday is not the main event. Your actual life is the main event and Sunday just serves that. So I don't think that diminishes what Sundays are because I think they're critically important. None of us can do this alone. but. They're also not the center. They're at best a springboard. It's the term, the church is now, and I'm going to try to rephrase it in a different way because I like the marathon metaphor. So, so churches now are more like the terms of service and the app updates. And what we need is church to act more like the couch to 5K app. The it's time to get up and yes. do something. Yes. You've been on the couch long enough. You know better. Get up and just, just do it. Just get in it. And once you're in it, you're fine. It's so good. Yeah. And, you know, like my, my wife, um, she would call herself a passionate non-runner, but she did a marathon with, <laughs> with World Vision a number of years ago, and she killed it. But in reflecting what we realized, she had a, a like a vision, a goal, which is for these kids, mm -hmm. World Vision. And then she had a plan that the World Vision team said, you run this much on week one, you know, and then every Saturday they met as a group and did their long run on a trail. And she said later, I never would have done one of those long runs, not even one if it was by myself, but it was with this group that I cared about. And we were like, man, isn't that the spiritual life? Like we need a vision, we need a, an actual plan that works, and then we need people to do it with. And so there's something there with church. What is, just to define that, what is a passionate non-runner? What does that actually mean? <laughs> and that's a dangerous question because I know it's your, it's your wife. <laughs> yeah, that's funny. Yeah, I think she, so a lot of us are non-runners and we feel guilty about it. 
she doesn't she's care. A runner and she loves it. She's <laughs> glad to be. She does not want to be a runner. I'm so. excited that you like running and I'll watch you yeah. do that. And I'll watch you. And I'll, I'll yep. <laughs> Digging back into the metaphor of swimming, learning the breaststroke, getting into the river. So there was a time in my life that I'm unashamedly uh, an Eagle Scout and and I can remember being in a, a Boy Scout ranch in Colorado and we went down the rapids and I can tell you that a quickly moving current is extremely exhausting. Yeah. And so if if I'm being called to enter into this current and I get in it, how do I just well I would love to say it's it's fine to get swept away, uh, and you know when we're talking about this metaphor, but I find that exhausting, uh, yeah. That which sounds selfish. Like there's a portion of me that I would, maybe would want to hold back, or but how do I then? Is it fair to want to get out? And if not, how do I not just get thrown underneath at the bottom of the current and bounce off the bottom? Yeah. Oh, it's such such good questions. Um, well, a couple observations. One is. If, if you look at Jesus' life, there absolutely seems to be a balance or a rhythm between the white water and the still waters. And you see him enter into the city. Um, you see him throwing himself in the middle of the chaos. And then you see him withdrawing, getting quiet. And so... I, I think I would suggest that this river, the kingdom flow that God is doing in the world is not the kind of relentless whitewater that drowns us. I feel like the, the way we bring our ambition, the way we chase things, um, the way our culture is set up is totally suffocating and drowning. And this river is an invitation beyond that kind of uh, chaos. So it doesn't mean it's just like laying by the side of a pool all day with a Mai Tai. It's not that kind of thing, but it's it's the, this idea of rhythm. One of the central passages that we focused on as our practice community for the last four years was Matthew 11, was the, are you worn out? Are you tired? Come to me. Basically, come to me and I'll teach you how to swim. But it has this line, learn the unforced rhythms of grace. And there's something there about unforced. Because you know, like, uh, I haven't done whitewater rafting, but I've done a ton of water sports and all these kinds of things. When you find the middle of that current, even if you're going really fast, if you're in the right place, it just flows mm-hmm. like talk about unforced, but when you're outside of it, even if the current's slower and you're working against it or fighting it, it's totally crushing and exhausting. So there's something there unforced and rhythms. And, and to go further on that. So one of the things that they teach you before you're allowed to get into the rapids is a, don't take off your life vest. Um, but B, <laughs> if you do get flopped over face first, just let the current take you because if you try to push yourself wow. up off of the floor it's like an elephant standing on you. you'll never beat it you can't you wow. can't you won't surface again you'll drown if you wow. don't stop fighting the the rapids it, you can't you can't get oh, there that's, um, yeah and the reason really i say it's exhausting is yeah. i can remember even just coasting down and being all well and good i felt so beat up the next day like yeah. just sore yeah. everywhere yeah and I couldn't help but be reminded of that as, as I read your text. 
Yeah. It's interesting. It's a, I mean, there's this tension. I mean, the, the passage I just mentioned was, and I will give you, I will teach you how to take a real rest and mm-hmm. you'll recover your life. And I think that's absolutely true. And whoever wants to find their life will lose it. Um, offer your life as a living sacrifice, holy and pure. Mm-hmm. I mean, so there's this talk about rhythm, tension between recovering our life and losing our life. And um, yeah. it's definitely both. And uh, yeah. 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 You saying that reminds me of um, who is it? I spoke to someone, Alexander Shia, and he had said, no, no, no. That's the thing that Christians tend to forget when, when, and this is a different scripture, but you know, when you take up your cross and you bear it for, you know, for Christ, uh, yeah. you can't take it back up again unless you eventually set it down. And when you set it down, uh-huh. that's when you lean into church and your family, and that love is what recharges you to then pick back up what you're called to do yeah. and go a little further, knowing that here in a little bit, you're gonna have to set it back down and and yeah. kind of get in a rhythm of of, oh, of so exert good. force yep. and then recharge, exert yep. and recharge. I had a friend who said, a mentor who said, this whole idea of balance is ridiculous. First of all, it's impossible to find a perfect balance. Um, but the other, the other thing that balance is, is kind of neutral, <laughs> you know, like never too fast, never too slow, never too high. He's like, that's not the life. That's boring. And that's when he started talking about rhythm, the big outward and then coming back mm-hmm. and then the, the huge highs and then the low, you know, and that really resonates, especially as an Enneagram four, the idea of just like neutral balance all the time, I'd rather die. But yeah. this rhythm of engage and withdraw and jump in and yeah, that's, that's really compelling. I've just dug into the Enneagram a bit. What is a four? What does that mean? Like- <laughs> the Enneagram four is the, the individualist, the romantic. It's all about, um, uh, being authentic. It's all about being unique. Um, we fours think we're the only ones on planet earth like us, even though there's <laughs> millions of other fours. Yeah. Um, but yeah, so it's all about kind of identity. And yeah. I, I apparently have become an eight from what I've been told. And I don't oh, okay. know that I'm happy with that because they seem awful <laughs> aggressive. Yeah. The, the eights are, we, the world needs eights, but they're 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 hard to. Yeah, well, hard. I'm, I'm glad I'm not married to one because I don't think it would, I don't think it would last. So, <laughs> there's a portion of your book, and I like the way that you turn it. So, and I can't remember what the scripture is, but there's a scripture that says uh, that you know every portion of your congregation is a part of the church body, and every part yeah. of the body is is called to do something. And I've always heard it preached that we keep that in these four walls that this is the reason that you volunteer basically it was kind of used as a guilt passage but you you turn it on its head and say well you know taking it further it's not just the church members it's you know the baptist version of christianity is called yeah. for some goodness and so yeah. we're catholics and so we're i'm i'm running out of you know so we're episcopalians yeah. and yeah. Yeah. and 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 i love that and i'd never really considered thinking about the church body as big capital c church before oh yeah yeah one of the most kind of transforming things about the last few years along those lines has been, you know, I, I've grown up, I was a part of a really conservative uh, church upbringing. And then I was a part of a pretty progressive church. And then I was a part of kind of the really mainstream evangelical mega church thing, but all in the Protestant loosely evangelical thing. And 
most of my white evangelical friends are either struggling with it or have totally left it. I don't, I don't have a lot of white evangelical friends that are like, yes, <laughs> these are, these are my people. <laughs> and I've been, I've been really wrestling with that. And, um, and I think where, where I'm kind of landing right now is my tradition is really, really good, but it's only one slice of this huge family, this big pie. You know, it's one little slice. Evangelicalism embodies a lot of truth unless it's forced to be the whole story. And then in my opinion, it's a really bad, really thin whole story. But it has something to contribute. I, I've been meeting with a Jesuit priest as a spiritual director the last four years. And he would say to me, Aaron, there's a bunch of things about your tradition that are really helping me be a better Catholic, hmm. which blows my mind. Like what? Um, he would say, your energy. He said, when I come to your community, people love to sing. He said, when's the last time you were at a Catholic mass that anyone wanted to sing anything? Hmm. And he's like, I love the exuberance. He said, I love the way you, you really seek to personalize your faith and help others personalize their faith. He would say, uh, um, we Catholics need more of that and need to learn from you guys. And then, of course, I can turn it, and there are a hundred things that I, I'm learning from him and from the Catholic tradition that has been so deepening and enriching. But all that to say, to see our tradition, whatever it is, whatever tradition we grew up in, is not the whole story. If, if, we, if it needs to be the whole story, it's a bad story. But to see it as part, one stream that flows into this big river, then we can kind of honor it for what it is, and we don't have to destroy it when it lets us down. Because of course it lets us down. It's only one little stream. Does yeah. that connect with your experience? It does. Um, and I will say recently, and so uh, for those that are listening to the show, this won't be a surprise, but I'll, I'll kind of briefly relay it for you. So I, what took you three years took me about eight. Um, yeah, and okay. it wasn't until my kids were born that um, I realized my version of Father God was awful if that's what I was modeling. And so sure. it, the, the wheels fell off. And I, wow. but, okay. but I grew up pretty conservative and went to Liberty okay. and continued to be oh, wow. conservative. And, yep. And, yep. and what I've come to realize is, how do I want to say this? I still love the parts of my faith that brought me to where I'm at, what that foundation was. Um, it doesn't yeah. mean that I haven't repaired parts of that building and renovated and made things more, not more fitting with what I think God is, but just more fitting with what I, what, which is what God is. Um, yeah. And, and I find that I learn so much from my Catholic brothers and sisters because they can embrace a different, an emotional part of God that I can't connect with. Mm -hmm. And I learn a lot from the, you know, the Eastern Orthodox and everyone else because they all, and, and I agree with you, they all bring that, like, I've, I've recently begun uh, to do kind of a, what's it called? Uh, lecto Divina, like, Lectio, yeah, le yeah. I can't say the word. Yeah. Some people say Lectio and some people say Lexio. Well, and to be honest, I, I don't can't know speak. Word. I can't speak yeah. Latin. So, <laughs> yeah. um, but just, but just inserting myself into scripture in a way that 
Yep. Um, I hear it and I read it in a different way. And oddly enough, the the the, the thing that got me involved in that had nothing to do with the church. Uh, huh. There was a, a separate podcast, I think, called Harry Potter and the Sacred Text. And so there's these nice. two seminary people that basically are treating Harry Potter that way. And they just choose a quick paragraph, and they we're just talking about chapter one now. And so they were treating it in the same way as a yeah. as a thought yeah. experiment of well, you can do this yeah. with any text, and you can learn yeah. from many things yeah. truth yeah. that isn't necessarily oh, I love that biblical. So yeah, as a pastor, how do you find that is the easiest way to encourage people to get off the bank? Yeah, well, that's a good question. Um, I would say two things, and they feel really, really different. Um, a An idea from the scriptures that I've been thinking a lot about recently, um, especially as I had moved out of my more fundamentalist upbringing, is it's God's goodness that leads us to repentance. And I think I had grown up, and maybe, um, I don't know how many of, of the listeners and how much of this resonates with your experience that the Christian leaders of my youth thought the best way to get us to change was shame and shame um, and fear. Yeah. Shame and fear. Yeah, absolutely. Shame and fear. And apparently that is not the God that Jesus knew and came to reveal. Um, because it is God's goodness that leads us to repentance. So I think the the first answer to that question, how do how do people get off the shore, is invitation, invitation. Like like the verse we were talking about. Are you tired? Are you worn out? Um, I was had dinner with some friends last night, and we were talking about a number of things. And somehow got up. If you could say one thing to the world, and for me, it's there's more there's a better way. This thing that we're experiencing, it may be good and it is good, but there's more. And so I think that, yeah, the first answer is, is winsome invitation to say, um, if you're feel like your, your life is dry bouncing along the rocks, there's a deeper stream. So Mm -hmm. that's the first one, but the other one in experience, and it happened in my life and I've seen it happen in a lot of life a lot of other lives, often we only get into the river um, after deep pain or dis- disappointment mm-hmm. or disillusionment. Or um, if I look at my life, some of the biggest moments of finally saying yes to God were after I just you know, drove my car into a wall, after um, some sort of major failure or disappointment or heartbreak. And I hate that that's true, but it seems to be very true. I don't believe personally God causes those things. I think God is as heart. When uh, Sean and I uh, had a couple miscarriages in a row, um, I think God wept with us. Mm -hmm. I don't think God caused that to teach us a lesson. However, I think in that utter heartbreak, um, I think God was saying, I'm with you. I'm closer than the air you that you are breathing. Um, what is that? God is close to the brokenhearted, mm-hmm. and some things opened up in us in that season that that might not have been able to open up otherwise. So, winsome invitation, 
and unfortunately, heartbreak. Yeah. Well, you had asked me before we started recording. Well, full disclosure, I started recording just because I needed to check your sound. Levels, oh, okay. But, um, but what I'd hope to get out of it, and and this is, so I, I told you, it often comes at a later date or during the thing, and it's kind of self-therapeutic. Yeah. So if I look back at the first five or six months of this show, we talked a lot about Matthew 25 and huh. hospitality. And lately, and it doesn't seem to matter when they're scheduled to release, obviously this one will come out close to your book release. Um, it's all about suffering and lament. Mm-hmm. And so like like you quote Professor Soon Chong Ra where he says, you know, yeah. theology of celebration is not complete without a theology of suffering. And I just got to speak to him and we talked about lament and American exceptionalism and he's quickly wow. becoming one of my favorite theologians. And then just oh, this week... Amazing. Just this week, um, the episode is about human trafficking with David Zock from Remedy Drive and the Exodus Road. Yeah. And and he said something similar that um, I, I had asked him, you know, how are Christians called to this without getting exhausted? He's like, well, I don't know the answer to that, but I know that my king is the king of sorrows and that we're called to draw near to that and that yeah. that's where he fixes. You know, that's wow. if we're going to be Christians, we're yeah. called to suffer yeah, And there's a lot of grace in that, and there's a lot of redemption and beauty in that, and there's a lot of pain in that. Yeah, And yeah. and honestly, if I'm thinking out loud right now, that sounds a lot like the cross. There's a lot of grace and redemption and a lot of pain. And a lot of pain. About two years ago, we um, decided we were going to spend all of Lent, the six weeks of Lent, learning how to lament. And uh, one of the things that just inspired it is we were looking at the Psalms and a third of the Psalms are laments. Mm-hmm. How many, what percentage of the top 100 worship songs on CCLI are laments? I'm going to say, I was in CCLI yesterday. I'm going to say 0. 0.07. <laughs> I think maybe less than that. I think it may be 0.0%. Well, those 0. 0.07 are the rearrangements of some of, <laughs> yeah, the, old, of, yeah, the, yeah, some yeah. of the old Psalms and hymns. <laughs> they're, not, they're not original works anymore. Right. So apparently our, our forefathers and foremothers believed that a third of our worship needs to be lament. One of my mentors says, never be the kind of church that when, when a funeral happens, you don't have any songs to sing. And that was so profound to me. So we just said for six weeks, we're going to learn how to lament. The first week was a vision of lament. Week two was kind of like a nuts and bolts teaching. What is it? How is it not just complaining? What, you know, what is lament? And then week three was a nine-step process of how to write your own biblical lament. And because it was the practice, we did it. So she, she taught the first three and then gave five or six minutes and we all journaled and wrote the first three. And then she taught the next three and then we, you know, and then week four, we weren't gathering together. We were gathering around tables for, for the meal. And the invitation was share your lament with this table. And then week five, we came back and the brilliance came. I don't know if you're familiar mm-hmm. with their yep. music. And they did a full concert of lament. And it was. But the reason I bring that up is um, about a year and a half later, we did a look back over the last four years. What has been meaningful? What has been helpful? And person after person said, those six weeks learning to lament. Mm-hmm. And we just realized again Again, I can only speak from my kind of Protestant, white, suburban upbringing. No one taught us how to lament. 
In fact, if we were feeling sad, something was wrong with our faith. Yeah. You know, pray more, just yeah. worship. You should be yeah. thankful. You're you know, doing it wrong. <laughs> toxic, yeah. toxic to the soul. Um, and it's just another reason I am actually more excited to try to follow Jesus than I was even when I was a kid, because um, the, the path of Jesus makes space for this. I mean, the Beatitudes, blessed are those who mourn or they will be comforted. Yeah. So you can avoid mourning if you want to avoid comfort, you know? And so anyways. Yeah. So reading the book and, and if y'all haven't picked up yet, you need to go buy the book. It is a very good book. Um, and, and, and I genuinely mean that. I, I don't usually say that on the show unless I think that it is. Um, so, so um, you and I'm not paying you. That is not a no, not sort no, of bribe. Um, yeah, no, no bribes involved. Um, I would have. I yeah. I I I've read it. Well, to be fair, I've read it twice. So, um, thank you. So, you do a lot of things that aren't necessarily um, Western uh, in mm-hmm. in the newer the new way that you you interact with Christ and some of that is you know based on Ignatian spirituality some of it is yeah. based on meditation some of it's based on the examine some of it's based on uh, Lectio Divina and and the one that got me the most and the one that I've tried to do very poorly um, <laughs> and I don't know if that's part of it is the examine and yes. and I think if there's anything that I, I can see this year and then for the years to come that can maybe impact me the most, uh, in a long-term way and not some form of behavior modification way. It is that. Can you walk yeah. through kind of what that looks like and then how that informs the way that we worship? Oh man, absolutely. Um, well, the first thing to, to notice you're talking about Eastern and Western is like, and I'm embarrassed to admit how old I was when I first realized that God is not an American and uh, Jesus was not Western and Jesus did not look like me. Mm-hmm. And um, it's us who are trying to reimagine uh, 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 this way for a totally different context. If, if I could jump in on that, it would actually yeah. be uh, the lead singer of the Brilliance. I can't remember his first name, but his brother, Michael Gongor, he wrote yeah, a song yeah, called God is Not a Man, God is Not a White Man. Yes, and yes, that's I right. I think it was then when I was like, wait, what'd he say? And it wasn't, <laughs> I think there was a part of me that always knew that, but I just never sure. cared to think about it. Yeah. I mean, I think human beings have been making God in their own image ever since the, you know, the very beginning Mm -hmm. and we still do it. And in some ways that's okay because we were made in God's image, but we just can't reduce God to our specific image. Mm -hmm. Um, So anyways, so, um, oh, the examine, the examine, let me, this is hyperbolic, but I, I really mean it. The examine has has transformed my life, my spiritual life, um, and it's it's uh, it's about fifteen hundred years old, and it's been around a long time. Nope, it was started in the fifteen hundreds. There we go. It's still a um, long time. Still a long time. Yeah, <laughs> longer than longer than a lot of other things. And the the insight of the examine is started by Saint Ignatius, who founded the Jesuit order. Um, and the insight was God is always working in our lives, but we don't often stop to notice. And so, uh, St. Ignatius taught, if you, if, if, if you're too busy and you can't do any of your other practices, you can't do anything, at least do your examine. 
to take 15 minutes a day to stop and look back and notice God's fingerprints in our lives. And so the five steps are pretty simple. The first step is we invite the spirit to lead us. So it's not just a self-reflection exercise. It's a relationship. God, would you guide me now as I look back over this last day or last week? Step two is to review the day in gratitude. And this was so difficult for me. I'm a cynic by nature. I can see what's missing right away. And gratitude often feels like uh, sugarcoating, you know, reality, pretending. Mm-hmm. But the insight is whatever you start with, you put at the center. And so when you begin with abundance, with gratitude, with what's right in the world, it kind of recenters reality on what is true, which is God's goodness and abundance. And then we bring in everything else. So, but we start with gratitude. That is, again, for this melancholy artist, that has been transformative. Step three is as we review this day in gratitude, we notice different emotions that pop up. So I start with, I woke up this morning, I could barely get out of bed. What was that about? Why was I so tired? At breakfast, oh, I had that really hard conversation with my wife. Why was I so frustrated? You know, just noticing, not judging, just noticing the emotions that pop. I was driving to work and I had such a wonderful feeling of hope for the day. Wow. I wonder what that's about, just noticing. Step four is to choose one of those moments, one of those emotions, and pray from it. God, that conversation with my wife kind of freaked me out. I don't understand. She said that little thing, and I responded in this huge way. Let me tell you about it, and then is there anything you have to say about it? And just hold it. Sometimes God, in my experience, sometimes God is like so speaking so clearly about something. Sometimes it's like crickets. I, I, I don't know. <laughs> but, but we hold it in God's presence. And then step five is to look forward to the future in hope. So what have I learned in this little examine that I can move forward? Next time I talk to my wife and she says that, um, how do I respond differently? And 15 minutes once or twice a day is utterly transformative. Yeah. How long have you been doing do, it? Four years. What do I do it every day? Absolutely not. I wish I did. <laughs> um, do I do it most days? Yes. And more than that, it is. It's starting to seep into everything. It's really interesting. It started as a very rote. All right, I'm going to do step one. I'm going to do step two. And now it's kind of the way I interact. You know, uh, laying in bed at the end of the day, even if I hadn't done my exam and quote unquote. I say, all right, I'm going to look back over the day. What was good? What was beautiful? What did anything break my heart today? What was that about? And it it just is kind of uh, really affected how I try to engage with God each day. Have you have you heard the examine liturgy? Uh, nah, I don't. Unless you've sung it or it's in your book, the answer is no. All right, no. I'll I'll send it to you. Um, my spiritual director and I, Father Michael, we um. Together, we partnered on this. Uh, uh, it's, yeah, it's just an examine liturgy. 
and it takes, uh, I think the full version is about 25 minutes mm-hmm. to walk you through and examine. It has some songs in it. It has some music. And then there's also a 10 minute version and a couple other things. But that, if, if, if anybody wants to get that, that's on a new liturgy.com. Um, it's called the examine. There is, um, and I don't know if it's a version of examine or not, but one of my favorite things that helps talk me off the ledge is kind of a guided meditation from Michael Gungor and the liturgist. I think it's called vapor. And, it, oh, yeah. and it, I don't yeah. know if you've heard, it's like nine minutes yep. long and it starts yep. out with some Middle Eastern yep. chanting. Um, yep. And I find often I find it's myself powerful. going back to that of yep. why yep. are you so worried about that? Your student loans, yep. they're dust. Yep. That angst, yep. it's, it's dust. Yep. Stop it. Settle down. Um, and if, and if I found anything that I've learned from trying to do the examine is I get disappointed when I don't hear from God and I uh-huh. feel like that's on me. I'm, I'm certain uh-huh. that that's on me because uh, yep. I want instant gratification. Yep. Uh, there's a, I guess it gets back to the aid of me of I did this now, this, I pulled yeah. this lever, this happens. Um, yep. but there's a portion that I love that it makes me slow down. And that's also the portion that I don't like. <laughs> of course. Yeah, absolutely. <laughs> so I don't, I don't want to slow down. I feel like yeah. I need to, I need to go, go, go. So absolutely. Yeah. One of my friends who, who was uh, teaching me some of these contemplative practices way before I had any idea about any of that, he said, in my experience, the fruit of it is rarely in the moment, but it is unmistakably in the rest of my life. Mm. So I'll just notice like, wow, I just dealt with that person who's been driving me crazy for years and I was able to smile and bless them. Yeah. Whoa, <laughs> what happened? Well, what happened is I've been practicing contemplative prayer for the last six months and God has done something in me, almost unbeknownst to me, you know, and so, yeah, you're, so. you're an actual new creation or you know, yeah. you're a new, yeah, ver- yeah, that's yeah, right. a better that's version right. of yourself or, or to get a little uh, Greek, a li- you're, you're a new theosis, you know, you're becoming a yeah. miniature, a miniature Christ. You end your book with, um, the phone test and the bookshelf test. Oh uh, yeah. What yeah. is that? Uh, well, I, I do, I, I, aside, I know what it is because yeah. I read it, but for those yeah, that yeah, haven't sure. had that, um, and I, I look at my bookshelf to the left here. What are we getting at when you say, you know, if you're curious yep. where you're at in in the 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 stream that you're around and the tribes that you're involved yeah. in, what is that bookshelf test and that phone test? Yeah, those those two tests are in the chapter um, practicing for the sake of the world. So not just about me and my kind of contemplative inner world, but back to that joining what God's doing to redeem and restore all things. And the first one, the phone test, is something that my friend David Bailey who started Erebon Ministries um, is just this unbelievable artist and uh, leader, prophetic speaker, uh, all about helping. Basically, I think he would say he's trying to help the white church learn how to participate in reconciliation, specifically in racial reconciliation. Mm-hmm. And his very simple test is he said, go back, uh, open up your phone and look at the last 10 calls you made do they all look the same? How diverse is your inner circle? Basically, when I read that, I I did that, and it was voicemail, voicemail, wife, 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 voicemail, voicemail. <laughs> so yeah, I guess I don't call people. Well, yeah, that's right. I mean, <laughs> how many of us actually do phone calls? Um, so maybe it's texts, maybe. maybe emails. But that when he first said that, and I looked back, I mean, it was 
I, th- I think at that moment, it was 10 white people. Mm. Now, are white people bad? Of course not. Um, is it bad that I would call a white person? No. Uh, what does it say about my life that my inner circle, especially at that time, was 100% just like me? Mm-hmm. And what are the, um, what are the potential uh, limitations, blind spots? Um, so that, that's a, that's been a, a question haunting me. And I think the, the bookshelf test is very similar. Um, I was, uh, d- kind of look back at my bookshelf. All right. In the last 20, 50 books I read or whatever. And I realized it's mostly white European men. Mm. And again, nothing wrong with white European men, but if that's the only influence in my life, how could I possibly understand the fullness of the kingdom? Mm. And again, I just had to ask, what are the profound blind spots of a theology that's only been formed by white European men, of uh, of a worldview that's only been formed by white European men? Yeah. And so I think both those tests are just an invitation to say, all right, who am I not learning from? And how can I get place myself under them so I can learn? And correct me if I'm wrong. Um, you list out a few of, if you don't have this channel in your life, here are a few people you could go see. If you don't, yeah. yeah. And yeah. So I, I, I can't remember even off the top of my head, but I did like that you said, you know, I'm not going to call anybody out basically. Um, yeah. But if you feel like you're missing this avenue, here's yes. a handful of people um, yes. from all walks of life. And if you feel yep. like you're missing, you know, a, a woman's viewpoint yep. on the gospels here's a few yep. if, you know yep. so i i did appreciate that because i find often people will call you to action and then not point you in the right direction they'll they'll quiver the arrow and they won't pull the string totally yeah 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 yeah, yeah. yeah. yeah I, one of my goals for the book was i want it to be relentlessly practical like if what i'm appealing for is not just belief based but practice based i better offer some tools right <laughs> and so i mean one one example is uh last fall, I stumbled upon this book by Barbara A. Holmes, and it's called Joy Unspeakable. And the subtitle is Contemplative Practices of the Black Church. Mm. And she just goes back throughout the history of the black church. She starts in slavery. She talks about contemplative practices of the middle passage. She talks, and I'm like, my little suburban white guy brain is exploding as she's pulling out all these, I mean, it was, I mean, it might've been the most important book I read last year. Again, just cause I didn't know any of this. Yeah. And I hope now my, my heart is wider and deeper and I'm humbler, you know, all these things that I realize I, I, I don't even know and didn't even know to ask. And so, I mean, it's been a privilege. I enjoy talking with everyone that is willing to come onto the show, but there are a few that I just, for some reason, just, I smile the whole time I'm talking with them and, and you've hit that list. I've, I've, I've genuinely enjoyed the conversation. I uh, genuinely enjoyed the book. Thank you for sending it to me. And, and again, for those listening, buy the book. I will link to it in the show notes. Um, we may try to give away a few copies. We'll have to see how that works. Um, and when I say we, I mean me. Um, <laughs> so um, what would you, though, where would you call people to interact with this type of 
of practice. And so where would you send people to learn more about the examine and to engage in this type of, of ministry and, and liturgy and practice of our faith? Like how would you call people yeah. to get involved? Oh, that's beautiful. Um, well, I hope this isn't a cop-out. Um, I tried to pack the book with a ton of those real specific resources. So I hope there is, uh, you, would, you would end the book with 10 different options. Um, but along those lines, I'd say two things. One is try stuff. Do it. Um, even if it feels weird, try it. Try it for seven days in a row. And when you get to the end of seven days or 30 days or whatever it is, when you get to the end, if it doesn't help you connect with God, set it aside. Just be curious. Ask, wow, that didn't really help me. But keep trying. Keep exploring. Don't give up. Take risks. Keep going. And then along those lines, get around people who swim in a different part of the river than than you do. Um, call up the, uh, Jesuit retreat center and say, Hey, I've never done spiritual direction. Is there, is there a spiritual director who'd be willing to meet with me or, um, start with a book, start with anything Richard Rohr has ever written. If you've never, um, read or learned from a Catholic, start with Richard Rohr, either everything belongs or, um, falling upward is unbelievable. Um, or swimming underwater, the 12 steps. I mean, start with anything Richard Rohr's ever, uh, ever uh, read, but get around people who swim in a different part of the river than you do. Yeah. Where can people follow you, Aaron, if they want to, as they read, as they listen, yeah. and they're like, hey, I want to say thank you or call you out or disagree or whatever. Where, where, would, they, where would you send them to? I always love to, to, to connect. So even if you disagree, I'd love to hear it. Um, my website is aaronnequist.com, N-I-E-Q-U-I-S-T. And that has, that's kind of a, a, a central place, but I'm on uh, both uh, Instagram and Twitter and Facebook, Aaronique, uh, A-A-R-O-N-I-E-Q. Um, would love to hear from you. And then the other website I mentioned was anewliturgy.com. And that's where a number of, of my liturgical uh, recordings are at. I thought that in ending, in closing, it would be appropriate to have a brief prayer. And we'll share in this with Aaron. And, and if this prayer speaks to you, I will say it's at the end of the book. Uh, but here we are, our voices raised together, lifted to God. Let's pray. Your servant is listening. Eternal creator and lover of all you have made. Thank you for life, breath, and the invitation of Christ to get swept up in your work of healing and restoring all things. In this moment, I say yes to your eternal current. I say yes to the kingdom of God. I say yes to your unforced rhythms of grace for the sake of the world. Please teach me how to swim. Please receive me in all my brokenness and glory and teach me to swim. I pray this humbly 
and boldly in the name of the Father, the name of the Son, and the name of the Holy Spirit. Amen. That's a lot. A lot to take in. And it's a big conversation to have, thinking about God in a way that is so true, if you just think about it, but so often we don't sit down and realize that we don't invite God here. God is already here. We join into that. If we can get off the bank, things are going to be fine. That that current, as raging as it is, that is salvation and that is creation and that is loss and mourning and happiness and sadness and any other emotion that we so pitifully try to give words to, that current is all-encompassing and it is graceful and it's warming, for lack of a better metaphor. I would encourage you, if you're not familiar with the examine, I have been trying to do it over the past, well, months. It is hard, but it does get easier. And it is self-revealing. And it's a new lens that I'm thankful for. Please remember, as you finish this episode, please like and review the show on iTunes. That helps tremendously. To our new patron supporters, to Tyler, to Elizabeth, thank you so much. If you have not yet become a part of that community, please do so. It is not a large commitment for an impact that you cannot understand. I appreciate each and every one of you. Be well. I'll talk to you next week. May God who dwells within us be forever free to reach out to God who dwells among us. That together we the music that you heard God today is from Volume 6 called The Examine from A New Liturgy. You can find all of those tracks listed in the show notes, links to purchase that album, as well as you can hear the ones in today's episode on the Can I Say This at Church Spotify playlist. Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. Amen. Amen.